Hey, it's time for another edition to the Mountain Tone Diaries. I'm coming at you from the lake today. And when I say the lake, it's Colorado's second largest natural lake. It's about six miles out of town. I spend a lot of time here because it's a great place to run. And it's a, it's a really good place to relax when it's not the height of summer season when all the tourists are around. I don't know if you can hear it, but the lake is singing today. This is the first recording with an actual decent microphone, and I apologize for the first three. Uh, sometimes I can be uh, impulsive. <laughs> anyway, those are done, and we're up and running, and that's what counts. I just saw a group of skaters go by. They're braver than I am. Uh, I'm not sure how deep that ice is yet. I can swim but uh, I have the natural buoyancy of a house brick. So I am a little more cautious than some people. It's really stunningly beautiful out here when the sun comes out and the snow lingers. It really gives it a whole different feel to this mountain environment. It's the same place, of course, but it, it, it's an entirely different experience. The winter hikes are a lot more challenging. And, uh, well, winter driving and, you know, just, just existing out here is a lot more challenging in the winter. At the weekend, I was thinking about going out to one of the two bars that are actually open at this time of year and I looked at my outdoor thermometer and it was well below zero. I think that night we dropped to nearly minus 15 and uh, my wife had the truck so I, I would have been walking through town which is only a mile of course but I just I didn't feel like it. I, I like to I like to have options. I like to be able to hang out outside if I want to and interview people, which is coming in the next podcast. Where I had originally intended this to be full of interviews or, or chats with uh, a lot of my friends here. But seeing people in a bar and then having a quiet space to talk to people and put it on record. That's an entirely different thing. And I work alone so often as a photographer and, and when I'm uh, working on a book or if I'm uh, doing freelance work that I actually forget how to schedule and, and organize things with other people. You know, it's one thing to talk to a family and meet them and take their photograph. It's another thing to say, hey, buddy, uh, let's hang out, but I want to record what you say. It's a little odd. Well, I think so. But uh, I, I know some really nice people here, and, and I have them booked, and I promise in the next podcast it will happen. It will begin, and we'll, we'll get to hear some different perspectives on how it is to live out here 
and what they're up to. They're a pretty diverse bunch. You know, a couple of people over the years have told me that uh, at one stage, I believe in the 60s or the 70s, this area was going to be considered as a national park. But for whatever reason, that didn't happen. Of course, we're surrounded by national forest and wilderness areas and BLM land, um, which if you're listening from overseas, that's all uh, owned by the federal government, but available for public use. It's our land, which is it's something cool that you can do with a new country like the United States that you can't really do with a place like Britain, which has existed for centuries and, and most of the land was already owned privately. So you do have access, public access to a lot of amazing places. It's quite a very rich and diverse place even though I'm a little biased. Um, but out here, we have true public land that, you know, there are no, no trespassing signs or fences. I can go out and I can explore. I don't have to stay on a trail through a farmer's or a rancher's field. I can go out into the forest and, and follow a deer trail and see where it goes and I'm not trespassing because it's public. And so there's a lot of potential good in these forests uh, and these wild places if they're managed properly. You know, we can, we can preserve a lot of really cool environments and of course the wildlife that inhabit those environments. Pretty cool that these four skaters that I'm seeing zooming around on the lake, they look like professionals. They have their uh, flotation devices and helmets and all that. And it's actually pretty cool. I was, I was a little, uh, not annoyed, but uh, disappointed to not be out here alone. But it's actually really cool. You know, out here in the winter, you kind of have to make your own entertainment. And I, I cross-country ski, I snowshoe, of course I take photographs while I'm doing that. And uh, I kind of take it a little easier than I do in the summer. And a lot of other people, we have a small ski hill, so people get into downhill stuff. Uh, some people like to ice climb, they keep trying to get me to ice climb, but I don't know, I don't know. I had a, a pretty rough injury in the summer. And it hasn't really made me uh, take a step back, but it has made me think about the things that I want to do and the things that I don't want to do. And uh, I won't be riding any crazy horses for a long time. Uh, that's another story. <laughs> it can be a real challenge to stay in shape in the winter because they're, they're, unless you uh, enjoy the cold, then there isn't much of an incentive to, to go out and run it's possible to run, which I'm going to have to do tomorrow. Yeah, you see how excited I am. Uh, but, it, you know, it's easy to stay in and eat and drink and 
you can understand how a, a lot of people who live further north, you know, there, there are such high rates of depression uh, in these winter months. I can only imagine if there would be no night and day, or you know, it's dark and cold all the time. I feel like this is a good compromise. We have relatively normal days and nights, even though it can be bitterly cold. If you're moving, if you're working hard enough, like if you're snowing, snowshoeing up a mountain, then uh, yeah, you get pretty warm. You don't notice that it's zero degrees unless there's a strong wind. There just isn't much room for error out here. You know, if, you're, if your car skids into a snowbank, you better hope that you've packed some food and a blanket or your cell phone works in these mountains. And it's the same if you're out on your own in the forest. You better hope somebody knows where you are. You know, it's one thing to, to get lost in the summer and uh, you know, have to deal with uh, you know, 50 degrees, but when it's zero degrees or less at night, can you make a fire in the snow? I hope so. And when I have some downtime like this, I like to look around and check the snow conditions. We had some very heavy snow and, and there were a lot of small avalanches, but it just reminds me that the snowpack can be quite unstable at this time. I'm looking at a lot of the peaks that I've summited in summer and a couple in winter. Trying to plan my next one in between regular work. But then it doesn't always have to be a summit. You know, there, there are some really cool spots. There's one spot here which from this position looks just like a bunch of trees. But once you're in there, there were uh, two mining cabins uh, some kind of a pantry um, and of course a, a collapsed uh, mine tunnel and a few old cans scattered around. You know, that was, it's probably been a hundred years since humans were up there because it is, it, there's no reason to be up there unless you're like me and you're just nosy, you just want to explore and see what's up there. I was actually just looking for a vantage point and on my way to the vantage point I started to find old buckets and, and then you start to see cut trees and that's a really big sign that there's a, a cabin around there and sure enough you know you start looking for rectangles and straight lines in the forest and there it was, there was the first cabin and the roof is always collapsed at this point. You know if I'd have been here 50 years ago maybe Maybe that I would see some cabins in better shape. But you walk inside and, and you can see the axe marks on the windows. And uh, there, there were, actually this was a first for me, there were little um, metal brackets, I assume for candles. So you get a, a very small insight into how these uh, prospectors lived. And I could see an older cabin, so I could see where they had moved out of one cabin into another one for some reason. And again, you see the their trash. I mean, it's really trash, but at some point, I guess it becomes a, uh, something of archaeological interest. I'm not sure where that line is. 
but uh, they had, I guess they hadn't got a can opener because they had uh, basically cut a, like a cross into the top of the can and peeled those pieces back. So who knows what was in there, I guess stew or something. I don't know, it, was, it would have been a hard life. Those, of course, those cabins would have looked a lot better when they were new. But just like houses today, you would see different quality uh, in their construction. And I think that's why some cabins that I've seen are a little more than, you know, a couple of logs left lying around. And some are really majestic. Like, they, they could still be salvaged, some of these cabins, with a new roof. My favorite cabin has uh, log walls that are at least 18 to 24 inches across. I mean, that's some serious insulation if you have the, the chinking in between the logs done properly. That would be really cool. I, I would love to meet one of the old inhabitants somehow. <laughs> make it, maybe they could teach me something about living out here or, or about what I'm seeing when I find these cabins. I mean, I could, from my house, I could probably hike to maybe a dozen cabins. Ruined cabins, but a, a dozen that are hidden in the forest within maybe five to seven mile radius of where I live. So I know there are plenty more out there. That's a very cool thing to find. You know, in, in, a, in a more heavily populated country, and again, I'm thinking of England, you don't really see those things anymore. Uh, just because, well, for a start, there aren't those wild places. You'll, you'll find old barns and, and uh, farm cottages, maybe. But here, I mean, if you, if you think Colorado is, is not that old. You know, my, my school in England was 400 years old. Not the buildings, but the school itself. There's, there's a different sense of scale physically you know in in geographical terms as well you have to get used to going further and i think that's true to say across the whole of the u.s um but obviously out here when your next town is 50 miles away or you know the the cool brewery you want to go to is 100 or 200 miles away you know whereas the, to me you know 50 miles used to be a, a long way 200 miles, we better be going on vacation. <laughs> but I, I digress. The, the cabins are really cool, and I hope that on one of these podcasts we'll, we'll get to see one. We'll go on a hike and we'll see one. And I'll tell you all about it. Okay, well, I have some organizing to do. Let's, let's get some people to talk to so you don't have to hear my voice all the time. It's a beautiful day out here. I hope you're enjoying yours.